Once again, we want to say that uh, we hope that you ladies have a wonderful Mother's Day. We greatly appreciate the ladies in our congregation and hope today proves to be very special. Proverbs 31, 28, her children rise up and bless her, her, also, her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. It is a mother's care for her children that is used as an example of God's care for us. In Isaiah 49, 15, it reads, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Obviously, the answer to that is no. But then it goes on to say, even these may forget. There are some, unfortunately, bad examples of mothers. And there are some who don't care for their nursing infants, but they are few and far between. But it shows how distant we are for God. For it says, many, uh, for it says, even they may forget, but I will not forget you. I will not forget you. In this passage, we learn that God cares for his own. We are rapidly approaching the end to the Sermon on the Mount. And we are in a section of the sermon in which Jesus is seeking to alleviate misunderstandings. As you read this particular section, it might almost seem as though these things are, are coming out of the blue, almost random. And there are a number of commentaries that, that make that note, that this is just a random ending to the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But I don't think that is the case at all. I see a progression in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me rehearse once again for you what is going on in this latter section. Jesus had been accused of the Pharisees of seeking to abolish the law of God. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish nor destroy, but I have come to fulfill. Then Jesus went on to say to the disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, that really blew away the disciples because they viewed the Pharisees as very righteous and godly individuals. So then Jesus went on to provide six examples of how the teaching of the, right, of the Pharisees did not go far enough in instructing the people as to what was the real righteousness that was required of the law. After those six examples, Jesus then went on to provide three ways in which the Pharisees did not practice their righteousness in an acceptable manner. But they practiced their righteousness in order to be seen by men rather than to... Uh, simply be rewarded by God. They practiced their righteousness in order to uh, seek to obtain by their own goodness, by their own merit, the blessing of God. And so now Jesus instructed the disciples, first of all, that lest they get 
proud or arrogant or boastful and view themselves as superior to the Pharisees because Jesus had been very tough on the Pharisees, then he goes on to say to his disciples, you shall not be judged. You shall not judge. For the judgment that you judge is the judgment that you will be judged by. They are not to be contemnatory. They are not to be fault-finding or critical of others. Jesus had also taught about prayer and how the Pharisees many times prayed in a wrong manner. So Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, and 6, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Every time a person presents the word of God, one always needs to be concerned not only with a proper understanding of the word, but also a misunderstanding of the word of God. I'm sometimes amazed at what people come away with after I've spoken, and uh, I think, wow, how did they get that? Okay. How would they ever arrive at that conclusion? But sometimes people do. And we might wonder, how in the world would the disciples ever arrive at the conclusion that prayer isn't necessary after what Jesus had just said? But if you think about it, Jesus said it warned them against vain repetition. Jesus had said, your father knows what you have need of before you ask. Have you ever said to yourself, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God has promised to provide. I believe that God knows what I need before I ask. Therefore, why do I need to pray? Why does prayer have to be important? And, oddly enough, am I being a nuisance to God when I pray? Am I bothering him with my trivial pursuits rather than simply trusting in God. So we are in a section in which Jesus is seeking to correct any misunderstandings that may have arisen by his earlier statements. Today, anything that might have served to discourage the disciples from praying. So in this section, Jesus seeks to instill a motivation to pray. That is our theme this morning. Jesus seeks to instill a motivation to pray. Sometimes we may feel guilty because we do not pray more. Guilt is not a good motivational tool. That is not how we should try to get people to do something, by making them feel guilty. That 
tends to be more manipulative than it actually is instructive or helpful. Guilt is not a healthy motivation. Instead, Jesus seeks to provide an incentive when when we think of, of prayer. Jesus takes a very positive approach in motivating his disciples and ultimately ourselves to pray more. The first thing I would like you to note is the invitation to pray. The invitation to pray, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. You could use the word ask this morning as a, uh, an acrostic to help you remember this verse. A, ask, S, seek, K, knock. It just so happens that it works out well in that particular verse. And these three things could be understood as, a, as synonyms, all for petitioning God and believing that when you petition God, it has a proper effect. But I, I think that we can see some nuanced difference in these three words, that they're not just purely repetitive, based on the Sermon on the Mount. The word ask, ask, ask for what? In the context, it's ask for your needs to be met. Look at Matthew 6, 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Ask me. So asking him regarding our needs. You see, we could labor under the misconception that asking God for our needs is wrong. Based on Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Now, Jesus is coming back and saying, there is nothing wrong with asking for your needs to be met. That is proper. He goes on to teach us that we are to pray for our daily bread, for example, in the Lord's Prayer. So ask him. Seek. Pursue righteousness and a greater understanding of the kingdom. Look at Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? Don't worry about that. Don't let that unnerve you. You've already prayed about that. You've already brought that to the Lord. You've already asked for your daily bread. Now, move on. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? Verse 32. For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there, seeking is seeking the kingdom and seeking his righteousness. We are to be praying that God would make us a more righteous people. And I would say to you, not just righteous in general, but think about areas in your own life where you need uh, to be cleansed from sin. It certainly includes the idea of confessing our sin, and also the aspect of delivering us from our sin. 
Think about the things that, that you struggle with personally, that you have trouble overcoming, and ask God to deliver you, whether that be gossip, whether that be lying, uh, whatever that instance may be. Ask God to cause you to be more righteous in his sight and as a way of promoting the kingdom, as a, a way of honoring and glorifying him, as a way of being a testimony for others. And then the last is knock. Knock. This word doesn't appear in the sermon to this point, but I'd like you to listen to a parable, and then I'm going to make an analogy. An analogy. In Luke chapter 13, verse 22, it says this. And he was passing through, that is Jesus, from one city village to another, teaching and preaching on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught us in our streets. He warns of a time in which the door will be closed. And there is no more opportunity to be saved, to enter the kingdom of God. So in verse 34 of Luke 13, it said, Strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Many will seek to enter and not be able. Now look at our text and look at Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. In Jesus' teaching, the knocking is a knocking at the gate of the very kingdom, at the very door of heaven. Here is an invitation for people to be saved, and to develop in their own personal relationship to Jesus Christ. He already had said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. After all of Jesus' teaching on righteousness, every single person should have recognized that they come short, that they don't measure up that they don't evidence or manifest the kind of righteousness that Jesus had been describing. For it is a righteousness not only external but internal, a righteousness of the heart. So how in the world is a person to be saved if even the Pharisees are not going to be saved based on their righteousness? Answer, it's a gift of God. It's solely by knocking, it's solely by asking, it's solely by seeking. It's solely by coming to God and trusting in him for the salvation that he provides. The incentive to pray, Matthew 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, 
And to him who knocks, it shall be opened to him. Everyone, without distinction, this is a wonderful promise of God. For whoever shall call upon the the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you can. You can. He is not going to deny anyone who comes to God by faith and wants to be saved. Here again, in our setting, sometimes you have to correct a misunderstanding. We believe in election. We believe that God chooses people unto salvation. Sometimes people misconstrue that then and say, do you mean that if a person wants to be saved, they can't? And the answer is no, not at all. If a person wants to be saved, they can be saved. It's a work of the evidence of the Spirit of God in a person's heart. If you call, if you knock, it will be opened, you will find. But Jesus, as he's talking, is focusing a promise to his children. The Sermon on the Mount is a sermon about the kingdom, about the kingdom, about citizens of God's kingdom. And primarily, it is focusing on those that are children by faith. Notice Matthew 7, 9. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, shall give him a stone? Verse 10. Or if he, that is a son, shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give your gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So we're in the context basically talking about Christians. Christians. And here's the good news. As Christians, you can have confidence in prayer. When it says everyone, that is an absolute statement for Christians. As Christians. You do not have to be a spiritual giant in order for God to hear and answer your prayers. You don't have to be the most righteous person on the face of this earth for God to hear and answer prayers. In fact, what you need to understand is you are not righteous and you are not worthy and you do not merit the blessing of God. You come based on what Christ has done for you. You come to God on the basis of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It is not our righteousness that is putting us in a right standing before God. And thirdly, you don't need to be the most knowledgeable Christian in order to pray and have your prayers heard and answered by God. For 
Time and time again in this passage, it says, he knows what you have need of before you ask. He knows and understands your prayer. You don't have to be spiritually mature. I know that there are children in this congregation that have made professions of faith that are four years old, five years old, six years old. I myself, I'm not exactly sure how old I was. I was about five years old. I was, be, I was before I went to, to school. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I can tell you I understand more about that today than I did when I was five. But I'm not any more saved today than I was when I was five. And I have no greater standing in prayer today than when I was five. Children, you can pray. You can lay in your bed. You can be out at recess. Riding a bus. Having a bad day. Or a good day. And Jesus is inviting you to pray. And he hears you. And he understands you. Sometimes I have problems understanding real little children. And we've all been there. You know, if, if, those of you who have two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and they're, they're just starting to talk, uh, you're around them a lot. Many times the parents know what their children are saying, and nobody else does. And uh, so the child says something to you, and I always kind of look at the mom and dad, and they'll, they'll repeat it in a way that I can understand it. I don't always get what they're saying to me. But God always gets what you are saying to him. It's a wonderful, wonderful promise. The illustration regarding prayer, Matthew 7, 9. Or, what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will he give him a stone? How does any parent, let alone a loving parent, but how does any parent treat a child when a child asks something of them? Answer, any parent worth their salt is not going to do anything to intentionally harm their children. Notice, what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf? Will he give him a stone? Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him, uh, uh, or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? You don't have to be afraid to pray because your heavenly father exercises wisdom in granting uh, us our requests. He is not going to give us something that is harmful for us. That is why we are always to pray 
that God's will will be done. That's even how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we're praying for God's will on earth, it certainly ought to include God's will for our lives. And so we ought to be praying for God's will. But please understand that when you tack that on at the end of your prayer and say, Lord willing, or in Jesus' name, let your will be done. You're not giving God permission to go against your will. You're not saying, all right, Lord, in this particular prayer, you can do what you want. No, it's a recognition on our part that we are always praying under the authority of God. We are always submitting ourselves to him. But it's good to remind ourselves and be cognizant of it. We are expressing humility and reminding ourselves on who it is that we are approaching in prayer. May I say to you this morning, we ought to be grateful when God doesn't answer our prayers. We ought to be thankful when God doesn't give us what we want. We ought to acknowledge the wisdom of God. I have an older brother. He's nine years older than I. And so, as a child, I always wanted to be doing what he could do. But he was nine years older than I was. His birthday was in January, mine was in August. My brother, for his 16th birthday, got a 22 rifle. And he'd go out and he'd target shoot and, and so on. So uh, I was seven, right? Nine, seven, yes. I, I was seven, seven years old. And so I said to my parents, I wanted a 22 rifle for my birthday. Because he had one, and it was a lot of fun, and he was out there shooting, so I wanted a 22 so I could go shooting. Guess what I didn't get for my birthday? They did not deem it the most appropriate gift for a seven-year-old child. They were watching over me. They were protecting me. Did I want it? Yes. Did I want it desperately? Yes. Was I disappointed when I didn't get it? Yes. Did I look at them and think they were mean? Yes. But today, I am here, and I'm thankful I'm here, and I contribute part to that, the fact I didn't have a 22 rifle when I was seven years old. We need to recognize the goodness and mercy and love of God when he says no to our desires. For he knows what is best for us. He won't give us a snake. He won't give us what harms us. Lastly, the implication regarding prayer. There is a world of difference between ourselves and God. Notice Matthew 7, 11. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more should your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Now we have a comparison. 
But notice the wording switches. In verses 9 and 10, it's if a man has a child and a son asks of him. It's a generalization. Any man, any child. A parent-child relationship. Now it changes. And the emphasis in verse 11 is on you. You particularly. You as an individual. Speaking to his disciples. We are his disciples. He's speaking to us. Now, we might squirm a little by being called evil. Verse 11. If you then being evil. But this whole sermon is about righteousness and our lack of it. And while we may think that's pretty strong language to refer to ourselves as evil, we think of Hitler as being evil, not us as being evil, but remember who we're being compared to. God. The righteous one, the holy one, the one who has never sinned, never will, the one who is totally different from ourselves. So we, with all our shortcomings, we who tend to be selfish, we who tend to be self-serving, we who tend to watch out for ourselves, we who have a tendency to say no, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because it simply is not um, very timely for us. One of the things I really appreciated about my, my father was he worked extremely hard. He was a farmer. Uh, he milked. He started at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, milking, and uh, he milked over 70 head of cattle. That's back before there were milking parlors and so on, that meant he had to carry the milk and do all that thing. So he took him about four, four and a half hours to milk. So he'd be done around 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, done milking, and then he'd have to go out work in the, the, the fields. He also farmed almost 200 acres, and it was just my dad and, and my older brother, and then later my dad and myself. And so he worked hard, and he never came into the house before 9 o'clock at night. And uh, he, he worked really, really hard. Sundays were a special day for my dad. He still had to milk in the morning, still had to milk in the afternoon. He milked, started at 3 o'clock in the morning, ended at 8, tried to get to church if he could, and then he'd be back out in the barn at 3 o'clock again at, at night and had to milk to 8. Uh, so every day, my dad never took a vacation in his life. Every day, that's what, what he did. Sunday afternoons. was the one time that he would lay down and rest. Sunday was a day of rest. He looked forward to that. He still had to milk morning and night. But in the afternoon, he used to like to rest. I used to like to play baseball. And I didn't like to rest. 
And I certainly didn't want to take a nap. Okay, I was, I was 13 years old, and, and I wanted to shag flies. I wanted him to hit a baseball with me. And that's the only time he had. Because all the other time he was working. So Sunday afternoons, I'd say to my dad, will you hit me a ball? I don't remember my dad ever once saying no. I remember him saying, let me get an hour's nap. But I'll guarantee you, he played with me as long as he napped. Never shortchanged me. Sometimes we say no because of inconvenience to ourselves. Not because there's anything wrong with the request, but our own selfishness. Because it might cost us something. Our child might want something that's expensive. And if, if we give them that, then, then I can't get this. So I don't want them to have it because I want this. I want this car, or I want that. We who are evil know how to give good gifts. We do sacrifice. We do try to provide the things for them that are to their benefit and not to their harm. We do deny them the 22s. And we do try to have food on the table. And we do try to clothe them. And we do try to take care of them. And we do try to nurture them. And as his disciples, we do try to be good parents. To the point that our children can take it for granted. It wasn't until Sunday afternoons that I was tired that I finally recognized the sacrifice that my dad had made. I didn't realize that when I was 13. It wasn't until I had children of my own that I started reflecting on the sacrifices that my parents made. You sacrifice. And we are here this morning praising our mothers because you sacrifice. You get up at night with young children. They're crying. They want to be fed. You feed them. You don't just roll over. You're tired. You need your own rest. But you get up and you feed them. You clothe them. You work. You give. And you do it willingly. And you do it gladly. And you do it because they are your children. If all of that is true, then think about our Heavenly Father. If you know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father who is in heaven? How much more gracious? How much more freely giving? How much less stingy? Sometimes I get the feel that that we feel like we have to beg God to give us anything. That is the misconception, ultimately, that Jesus is trying to make. That's his point when he says, 
Your father knows what you have need of before you ask. That's why he's saying you don't need vain repetition. It's because he stands ready and willing. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. God wants to provide our needs. God wants us to grow in our relationship with him. God wants us to be saved. Call upon the Lord and he will provide and care for you for he is the ultimate example of a good parent. You can have confidence in prayer. Never think, never think that you are bugging God, annoying God by calling upon him. He delights in answering our prayers. And when he doesn't, give him praise and thanksgiving, for it is always for our good when he says no. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, we ask that you might teach us to pray and to pray in faith. Asking, seeking, knocking, knowing that you hear, you answer. Everyone who calls upon you, every child of God, no matter how mature, no matter how immature, no matter how godly or ungodly, Lord, it is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that our confidence rests and not in ourselves. So, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to pray. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.